Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we are joined by David Johnston. David is an experienced executive, non-executive director and chair who has been actively involved in business for more than 35 years, successfully starting, owning and operating a vast range of businesses. With experience gained nationally and internationally in tech startups, selling, licensing, merging and acquiring businesses, having also arranged funding for management buyouts, along with a successful placement and listing of companies on the London Stock Exchange and the Australian Stock Exchange. He is a keen investor, chair and advisor to various technology companies in the communications, finance, insurance, risk management and sporting sectors, which are investing and advancing technology to the forefront of their respective industries. Welcome, David. Thank you, Deb. Yes, welcome. Thank you, actually. That covers just about every industry, doesn't it? Yes, it does. In listening to that, um, I like variety in the businesses that I get involved with. Um, rather than to being focused on one key sector or one key industry, so hence um, the the you know four to six industries that I've been involved with. So, what was your first executive role on a board? Um, non exec, a non exec uh, role. There was plenty of exec roles, uh, you know, from starting my own businesses. But uh, really, my first non executive role was. Um, with uh, a group out of New Zealand called Ginger Group, uh, which was a financial services dealer group. And in Australia? And here in Australia. My first uh, appointment as a non-executive chair was with uh, GPS Wealth, which was another financial services uh, dealer group, but uh, obviously based here in Australia. So you've moved out of financial services more recently into technology? Yeah, I've, uh, I've found, uh, especially in environmental uh, technology and in sporting technology, they've uh, advanced very quickly over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And so that has uh, that struck an interest for me. So I, uh, I've, I've pursued a couple of investments in, in both those types of company, you know, com- companies So um, and therefore moved into non-executive roles in, and non-executive chair roles with those sort of companies. So tell us some of the um, uh, advancements in that sporting sector tech space. Well, really, it's, it's the grassroots sports that really uh, are challenged with uh, being able to manage their administration because they're all uh, there as volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you've got to find a, a technology that people who... Uh, are not the best with technology can embrace, and that it's it's affordable for the for the clubs. So that's a challenge in itself. Um, but the advancement really has been around managing the statistics, managing their communications mm-hmm. with uh, with their with, with their members. And once you can get that communication right with your members, 
it kind of snowballs. You can get more and more members. So mm-hmm. they, they're starting to really li- rely on uh, apps and, and platforms to be able to uh, manage all, both of those areas for them. And how are you finding the stakeholder engagement in that space? Are you finding that um, communities are really adopting that? Again, some communities are, mm. and, and and it really is sports based around that. So the probably the sports that um, have the hierarchy of professional type environment, you know, professionals in their sport, um, they seem to adopt the technology a lot better than mm-hmm. than those uh, kind of grassroots sports that don't necessarily have um, national teams and well-supported supported teams. Mm. So you're chair and NED of EnviroSuite. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what they do and how you've sort of coped with COVID. Yeah, that's um, I, I could uh, probably nearly write a book about uh, uh, EnviroSuite. It started off as a group uh, called Pacific Environment, which was the merging of uh, three to four environmental consulting firms, and then they listed on the ASX. Uh, they didn't do terribly well as a listed company on the ASX. Um, then they decided that they needed to do further mergers and acquisitions. So I got involved with the business to assist them uh, to do that. Uh, but from a non-executive director level. Uh, it it came very clear that they had this excellent piece of uh, technology, which was effectively around air quality monitoring. And um, there was a desire in the business to grow that um, into a global business, but we had these this, uh, this consulting firm that was driving most of the revenues. Uh, so we finally made a decision to divest ourselves of the of, of the um, consulting business, and that was a national consulting business, and then focus on building out uh, the technology. So we spent two years developing the technology, testing it worldwide, um, mainly in mines and wastewater treatment plants, and it was becoming quite successful. So we went out and raised some more capital, um, uh, along the way, uh, we got involved with a, a, a group called Bell Potters out of Melbourne who assisted us with, the, the, I suppose, our, at that point, our second largest capital raise. Um, and then we went out and acquired another business, one of our competitors in Canada called Odatech, and uh, rolled that into our business. And with that came some really good clients. So we're just continually developing the, the, the technology out, listening to the customer base, you know, understanding what solutions uh, they, they needed for, the, for their businesses. We grew that business from, um, after we divested ourselves of the consulting firm, from 1.5 million in annual reoccurring revenue to the next year to 3 million, to the following year 6 million, um, and then a target for this year was, um, was 12 million in reoccurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So some heighty uh, goals there. Uh, very challenging when you're trying to do that uh, throughout the world uh, with only 60 people in, in about eight different countries. Uh, and then we came across a, a group who we'd had a chat to a couple of years ago in October of last year, and uh, that's, that business is called EMS. It's, a, it's about a 30-year-old business that had been uh, focused in noise and vibration. 
uh, monitoring. Uh, their noise uh, monitoring is predominantly in airports, and so they're in 200 airports throughout uh, the world. They're probably the largest uh, monitoring group um, in the world. So we thought, well, we can bring these two businesses together. So in November last year, um, in 2019, we started the process of, uh, after we'd negotiated the deal, the due diligence and trying to finish the, the transaction before Christmas, um, we, we, were, uh, we, we couldn't finish the transaction before Christmas. It's just too difficult, mm. too short a time frame. Uh, so we reset for a couple of weeks and then we settled on that business uh, on February the 28th, uh, 2020. It was their business is five times the size of our business. Wow. And we, uh, the transaction, total value of the transaction, transaction was 100 million. Mm. So we had to go out and raise 80 million in, from, from the markets in early. Uh, sorry, late January, early February. Um, that was uh, we, we were very successful and oversubscribed for for that, but it was a significant challenge because we could see the headwinds of uh, of COVID nineteen coming at that point in time. Mm. Uh, markets were under pressure, um, but we had a very good uh, investor base that were were was were supportive. The current investor base that were very supportive of, of us and could see that this was a, a great transaction for us. So we settled on that, that business, as I said, on the 28th of uh, February 2020. Two weeks later, the world went into lockdown. Um, we, we had to integrate those two businesses, EVS, EnviroSuite, and EMS, um, virtually via Zoom. Uh, we had a great team. Our CEO and executive team did an excellent job of doing a 90-day integration, which just effectively finished uh, end of May, this, uh, uh, only a week or two ago. Uh, and again, they, they did, it, uh, it did a virtual um, integration. We hired a, a, an integration uh, specialist team out of, uh, out of Sydney, uh, to manage it, which uh, it's so important to outsource those sort of things rather than try and do them yourself. You should get experts in to do that. Um, you know, that allowed us to move very swiftly and for our team to be more focused on the operations rather than the integration of, uh, of the operations. So we were successful with that. Um, and uh, now we sit as a just a market cap of over two hundred million, and we were just uh, just were entered into the all lords last week, so in the top five hundred companies. So it's been quite a journey for uh, for for six years. Um, I started off as an executive director, sorry, non-executive director there, and then moved into the chair about uh, two, uh, sorry, three years ago. And how are you finding? Um Maybe too early to tell, but now that the dust settled on the integration side of it, are you finding um, there's some synergies there that you anticipated yet, or is it too soon to tell? Uh, yeah, we we there, there is some synergies. Um, we did a cost out program where we took uh, ten. $11 million out of the combined businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and then there'll be, there'll be um, further cost savings going, going forward. Um, unfortunately, some of those were, were, were staff that were duplicated, but it wasn't only staff, it was systems and processes as well that were, were, uh, were duplicated. I think quite a 
few businesses have had to, you know, unfortunately lay off staff because of COVID anyway. So when you're trying to integrate two businesses at that time, it makes it even more challenging, doesn't it? Yes, it, it, it did. Um, and, uh, you know, the management have done a really good job with that. We again outsourced HR uh, so that we, at that point, had an HR consulting firm come to us and assist us in that, in that process so that we'd, we'd uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Because the business now um, is, is effectively in 200, there's 250 employees. We're in 11 countries across the world. So it's, uh, we're truly a global business and we're very excited about our future. Have you found that um, globally, like in terms of Australia, we've had the JobKeeper and kind of um, those sort of stimulus packages that alleviate some of the financial pressure, have you found that any other countries are reciprocating in that regard or? Um, we were one of those companies that were fortunate that um, our revenues haven't dropped uh, to the to the levels um, that they need to for uh, to to gain the and access to the job keeper and and so forth, and uh, we did uh, did the, the management team did some work in the countries that we have uh, other countries that we have staff in, and and we we didn't qualify for uh, for any of those. And how are you finding the um, teams all operating remotely? Is that going well? Or yeah, look, it's uh, it it. It's been a really good lesson for um, for not only boards, I think for, for management that, you know, you, if, if you're outcome-based, you can get those outcomes without having to be, uh, be in an office environment all the time. And especially, you know, under these circumstances when you're trying to merge companies, um, I... I was I was very concerned that we wouldn't be able to affect it in the ninety days that the that the team had given themselves, but uh, I I think our focus from the start was on the well being of our staff, and I think by doing that and and build, building a resilient culture, I think by doing that we 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 hit the ninety day period that we wanted to integrate those businesses and. Most of the staff are coming along for the ride now. You know, it's a bit difficult for a CEO and the management not to be in front of staff and talking to staff and just you know chatting with them. You know, they're they're on Zoom calls all, all the time. So that that was uh, and, and the same from a board's perspective. You know, I, I like to be involved with the executive team, uh, not manage them, just involved with them. And if I'm involved with them, I feel that you get more out of the management teams. Now, we haven't been able to do that. We've had um, – I, 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 I haven't met one of the uh, management team face-to-face, for example. Wow. Hopefully that'll happen <laughs> once our borders open uh, shortly. Any chair anxiety? <laughs> um, no, I, it, it's been okay. Um, yeah. We, we – we just uh, hired a new COO for the group, and that was all done via Zoom. So um, he 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 met the CEO CEO once uh, right at the end of the process, but uh, we went through a, a, a worldwide recruitment search for a COO and picked up a, a, a great gent um, who was working in Silicon Valley and moved back to uh, Melbourne. But yeah, that was all done via Zoom. So that was uh, that was an interesting process to go through. Yeah, very. So presumably a huge 
part of your operations are overseas? No, actually, uh, EMS uh, and EVS, so EMS, the business we acquired, their head office was in Melbourne. So they had uh, about uh, 90 to 100 of their staff in, in based out of Melbourne. Um, so, and, and our business, our big, uh, biggest group of employees were out of Sydney, so um, Sydney, Brisbane. So we've got Brisbane, Sydney, uh, Melbourne offices, and uh, then most of the others, some of them are satellite offices, and, and then there's a lot of staff that uh, from the um, noise part of the business with the airports are actually in the airports um, operating the software and at um, airports. Um, what's the noise levels like at the airports at the moment? Uh, nice very low, <laughs> uh, not many complaints. Um, and, you know, that's uh, so, so complying with the regul- regulatory uh, requirements for airports is um, what's well, always difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have been made a little bit easier because of, uh, of, of, of the less amount of planes. But I think everyone's got used to, communities have got used to uh, no noise in the sky. So it'd be interesting when we're back to full capacity of flights uh, around the world. Um, I think the uh, complaints uh, levels will be. Um, be a bit higher than what they are today. Same with the air quality too, with those places that are <laughs> yes, that's right. visually polluted. Yeah. I think there's yeah. fish back in the uh, canals in Venice yes. for the first time in a long time. See, you can see through them now. <laughs> a lovely blue colour. <laughs> so in terms of um, noise pollution and now air pollution as well, what's um, next on the horizon for EnviroSuite, are you just going to uh, bed down this current transaction or what's the long-term strategic vision? Uh, yeah, we've um, probably two parts to that question. We've, we've made it clear to the market that we've got a goal to uh, have a $100 million in revenue by the end of uh, 2023 um, with about a 15 to 20% EBITDA. So that's our financial target uh, for the business. So there's likely to be a couple of uh, smaller acquisitions along the way that uh, bolt into to the business. We're, we're really focusing in air, noise and water. And so when you look at air, we're talking about air quality, we're talking about odour, we're talking about dust and we're talking about the weather. And we're talking about historical, real-time and predictive in, the, in those areas. In noise, it's really noise and vibration. And in water, we're talking about wastewater, water quality, water flow, groundwater con- groundwater conditions. So in the wastewater and water areas, we've, we have done a, a couple of um, tuck-ins of technology uh, that that suits our technology, so acquiring a smaller firm and and rolling their technology onto our platform, which is then enhances the solution for the for the end client. Um, so that's been that that's that's been success, very successful. So we're, we'll be looking to do more of uh, more of that, and uh, probably just leave it to those three three key um, areas at the moment: air, noise, and water. And are you finding that there's an increased focus on um, climate change targets? Um, in, in, what, in what sense, sorry? Hansley. In terms of, um, you know, uh, air quality and things like that, uh, is there um, sort of the in, that sort of environmental sustainability target in terms of um, specific CO, CO2 emissions and... Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Definitely. I mean, look. You know, the, the the larger companies, you know, larger mining companies are very focused on 
on um, assisting the communities and, and, and making sure they're complying with the regulations. Um, and that's worldwide. And they've been, you know, they've been on that, um, had that focus for, for many years. So we, we assist them in those, those areas and, and, and getting, in, getting them more engaged with the communities mm. on, how, on the practices that they're deploying so that they can manage the air quality and manage when, when, they're, when, they're, when their minds are uh, blasting or, um, or so forth. So. Yeah, I think because there's been such an increased focus for so long from the United Nations, etc., and um, with sustainability targets set many years ago, um, companies have had to be, some of them have had to be dragged along kicking and screaming for the ride um, where they haven't wanted to be an early adopter of um, carbon reporting or... Yeah, there's certainly, a, 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 there's certainly some companies like that. I think um, a lot of the companies we work with have that social licence mm. and they truly want to make sure that they, they are engaging with their communities, they're employing people from those communities and they've and, and they're, they're also got uh, regulatory pressure to make sure that they do the right thing in those communities. So I think that assists in, in, in uh, climate change or will assist with climate change. So with the recent volatility in the stock markets, how is EVS performed? Oh, look, I think um, people, that the markets are looking at us as a wait and see. I mean, we did buy a business that it was uh, its major source of revenue was from uh, airports um, and then we went into COVID uh, lockdown worldwide. Um, it, I must say that the our, our clients are the airports who are still operating and still need our software to monitor um, noise and vibration but but, and, they're, and they're not the airlines. So they're monitoring the airlines and obviously most airports around the world are still open. So I, I think um, from our point of view, we've, 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 it's been uh, a wait and see, wait and see till we get this integration done. We've been able to uh, achieve that in the time frame. We've now announced to the market our, our financial targets. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about being... Uh, cash flow uh, break even or cash flow positive by June 2021. Um, so we believe we'll hit all those hit those hit those targets. So now it's just getting confidence in uh, the new sales that are coming through um, that are occurring, and uh, and I think we'll uh, we'll be um, we'll be very solid as as we move forward. But certainly, it's had an had an effect on everyone's capitalisation or market capitalisation. And have you had to hold any virtual or hybrid meetings? Oh. AGMs yet? Uh, no, 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 no AGMs, but board, board meetings. meetings. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, I think the first one was extremely challenging um, with the EVS. We have a director, uh, Mr Zhang, uh, who lives in Beijing and doesn't speak English. Um, or, or very little English, and so we uh, we had a translator in with him, and um, then there was some one in Sydney, one in Brisbane, one in Melbourne directors, and it worked pretty well, but it was pretty slow because we were waiting for the for the translation. 
process to, to occur. Um, we found then at our next board meeting, the best thing to do was for uh, the um, Mr. Zhang and his translator to actually have all of us on mute and they translate at, as we were speaking rather than waiting till we finished speaking and then translating because it took double the time, the first board meeting. But um, yes, plenty of, uh, well, I've had a yeah, reasonable amount of uh, board meetings uh, under Zoom. They're effective, they're quick, uh, much quicker. Um, you get on with the business a lot quicker. Uh, but you do lose that uh, personal interaction. Have you had to increase the frequency? Probably not of the set board meetings, which we'd have a set board meeting. Most of my the businesses I'm involved with would have a set board meeting once a month, but certainly off-the-cuff meetings, mm-hmm. especially you know, through the first, the, 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 the first month of the COVID-19 lockdown. It was very critical that the board got a handle on What's happening with our revenues? What's happening with our staff? What you know? How are we how are we setting our staff up? You know, are are they comfortable? You know, the welfare of the staff is is so important, um, if, just personally and and to get the right outcomes. Mm. So moving at that point in time, three hundred and twenty people worldwide into their homes effectively. Um, was was challenging for our IT team, but uh, they did a great job and and uh, it um, it worked effective. And how are you finding staff coping at the moment? Um, are you having more regular meetings with staff, or uh, it's probably more of an exec? Yeah, question, exe- but- yeah, yeah uh, the the execs are regularly, you know, having team meetings. Mm. Um, the the CEO and the management team less now with us um it's it's more they're focusing on 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 business as usual you know building building out the right strategy and the right business plans for the future and in terms of um some of the listings that you've had in the past and your experience to date um without naming any names of course is there any um sort of really great examples of where you've seen things done well or with the benefit of hindsight, would you have done something differently? Yeah, I, I, I always think that, so when you do, I, I think it's, and this is around transactions when, you, when you're acquiring a business, I always think that uh, people perhaps who are dealing on the transaction get too close to the transaction and believe in it too much, and so that's where a board can sit back. A good board can sit back and question the management's um, uh, discussions or negotiations around around that. So I think you can always do that better. So I I think the board has to have less involvement early on in the transaction, mm-hmm. other than questioning what the management are doing. Um, I think we found that with this last transaction that uh, that we did. Uh, with uh, EMS and EVS, that's 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 critical. The, the other piece is around that the board, the board's there to do a job, and they're there on behalf of the shareholders, and the management are there to do a job, and they're there to manage the manage the company. And you've just got to be very careful that boards don't get too involved in the day to day management. And through COVID nineteen, that that. That can happen, and I've seen it happen in businesses, and I could see it happening 
perhaps in a, in a couple of my the, the businesses that I'm involved with. So mm. I was trying to make it very clear that there's a distinction between a non-executive director and 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 the management. And I think that's where a lot of boards fall down. They get too involved in the business day to day rather than looking at it from a, looking at at it from afar. However, the, the the CEO and the chairman that they their relationship is extremely important. You know, I mean, a lot of people say oh, you can be friendly, but you can't be friends with uh, CEO. I, I don't really believe in that. I think you can be friends. You don't have to be the best friends, but you've got to be friends. You've got to work together, and especially through these times like COVID-19. So having a really good relationship with the CEO is important. I don't think you should be too far apart, which in my experience, they... they that some chairs can be well, you know, well divorced from from uh, from the management and the CEO. Mm. And it's really about strengthening that relationship to have um, respectful challenge between each other. Really, isn't it? It's the conduit between board and management. Yeah, the, especially yes. in these challenging times, the you know the the execs rely on the experience of the board. Yeah, they, to they, guide they, them, to guide them, mentor them, and. And steer you know steer the ship from from afar. Right? You know, they get too involved in the weeds. You know that they you know they can't get out of the weeds because they're focused on the on the business. And whether to just kind of question, well, is there a better way to do that? Can we help you do this? In our experience, we've been uh, done this in the past. And I think too, the bigger the company and the more they grow and scale, the sort of the larger the gap grows. It's sort of where businesses are a lot earlier in their life cycle or they might be a lot smaller in size that there might be more involvement from say an advisory board perspective where you might just have um, a founding director and you don't you're not really of the size yet that you have a full implemented management team so there is kind of that pilot board scenario earlier on in the life cycle of a business do you find that yeah it's it's a real challenge for businesses whether they're fast growing or or medium or slow growing that when they get to a certain size it's generally the founder and or a couple of founders and a couple of key people that have been able to build the business to to a certain certain level and and then they look around and go okay well you know we've should we be getting some outside advisory help if they haven't already done that from a from um, a board advisory point of view, and now we're being told we need to put in all this corporate governance, and now we're being told we need boards and all of that, and and that's a really challenging thing for 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 a business. And I I, I suppose you know to coin a phrase, I use it's corporatizing the business, and that's really one of the biggest challenges I think businesses find. You know, jumping over from being an entrepreneurial founder's business to now um, a business that requires a level of corporate governance um, and a level of strategic out, uh, output and input uh, at, from a board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, a lot of tech startups find it challenging from a VC perspective when you know they wind up in Silicon Valley and realise that um, venture capital firms don't even want to look sideways at them without some of that um, sort of corporate governance infrastructure in place. And they then sort of, I guess, get a second education on the fly where they're having to work out what it is and then how they can actually implement that 
in a hurry to gain access to capital markets. Yeah, yeah that, that's quite right. And that's probably the majority of them. The sports technology group that I'm involved with, um, the two founders from probably the start realised that they needed to bring in a, a level of corporate governance, a level of board advisory, and were very open to it. So mm-hmm. um, there's, there's, there's a percentage that know that that is, is, will be helpful to them rather than a hindrance to them. The, re- the real don't know what you don't know scenario. Yeah, yeah. So ASIC last, like last week came out with a new information sheet um, around executive variable pay. Obviously with COVID, it's one of their focuses. They're looking at, um, you know, obviously lost employees losing their jobs, costs are down, revenues down, mm. trying to revisit that variable component of executives trying to keep the executives engaged how how did you how are your remuneration committee sort of looking at that um it's yeah look it's, it's always a challenge it's, it's always a times, challenge it? yeah it, it, it is and um for example we've you know we're, we've we've just put in a uh, new executive um remuneration schedule or plan and uh you know which which is based on, you know, and we've got different bandwidths for different levels of executives. And, you know, we, it, we're, we're looking at it and, and saying, well, these executives not only in the last six months have worked increased hours phenomenally and had, had larger pressures on them from their boards and from their staff and from their other share, you know, stakeholders, um, that, you know, how do you remunerate them accordingly? Um, we find that... Uh, you know, we look at levels between 15 to 30 percent as an STI, uh, based around um, meeting certain criteria, and some of that's a financial criteria, and some of it's certain out- personal outcomes, and um, and business outcomes, and that uh, we believe that's 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 a strong way of doing it. We we don't over remunerate in the uh, in the salary packaging portion, so the at risk we feel should be re- reflect what we're doing on the base salary, uh, and then LTIs. Um, you know, fortunately enough, being a listed group, um, we can use uh, stock uh, for LTIs, and so most of our executives are on a plan of around about 10% of their base salary for LTIs. And that's tied to performance of the business and it's tied to uh, longevity of in the business. So, you know, uh, handcuffing them to the business effectively. <laughs> so staying for a couple of years, you know, because you, you need that continuity in your, um, in your executive team. So... Um, Hopefully they'll uh, they'll they'll sit within the uh, the new ASIC requirements. <laughs> they certainly sit within the ASX guidelines. So yeah, and I think too, like over the years, there's been such a shift from a mix of cash and equity, and um, how much of that's deferred over the sort of short, medium, and long term goals, and really realigning that to the strategic goals of the company and the delivery of shareholder returns. Mm. And when you do have those long term incentive plans, if they're performance rights or 
performance-based share plans. Um, it really does sort of um, help the executives have some skin in the game and help um, shareholders actually uh, make sure that there's the retention of the talent and also the delivery on returns for them as mm. well. Yes. I think a bit of the uh, focus for ASIC is the CEO is recommending the execs variable components. They're just saying the CEO should not be in the room when it comes to their element of it and it should be getting external advice on the CEOs. Right, okay, so we got external, in ours we were external advice on um, the executives and the CEO. Uh, the CEO was involved in building out the plan for the executives um, and uh, our CEO is on a different LTI to the other executives on the same STIs but um, or will be on the same STIs. Um, uh, yeah, so the we, we've tried to make sure that we cover all bases. And how do you manage the performance reviews of your CEO and your exec team? Do you ever outsource those externally? Uh, we haven't in the past. Um, it's probably something we would consider doing. Um, I think there's got to be an element of uh, involvement from the board, uh, absolutely, because they know the business and they know the person in the business. Mm. So unless you're very descriptive around what the KPIs are of, of, um, of the CEO, I think it's more challenging to outsource it. Yeah, and also the board know um, the level that, of achievement that they're expecting from um, the exec team. And I guess if that's communicated early on, there's that sort of, um, I guess, feedback loop there as well to make sure that if they're not adhering to the level of performance that's expected of them, then um, it's remunerated fairly. Mm. Yes. How about the performance of the chair? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, we, we do do uh, peer reviews. Um, we've used an online platform to, to do that on um, on a regular basis, you know, on the, you know, effectively a yearly basis. Um, we then discuss that, obviously, as a, as a board. So we do it, um, do it on the executive team executive team on us as a as board and uh, the board itself on the board so uh, we do um, we do follow that process and how's your board diversity um, it's not gender diverse uh, at present um, there's there's no rhyme or reason for that uh, we 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 have a very small flexible board uh, so we have some, so for example, Mr Zhang is um, very deep in environmental um, consulting and technology and un- understands that. Um, we have uh, a gentleman called Mr Hugh Robertson who's been in the capital markets for about uh, 40 years. Um, and so Getting very well known to us all. Yes, very strong in that, in that area. Um, we, there, there's myself who's, uh, you know, Mixed uh, background, background earlier, and uh, and then we have another gentleman by the name of Adam Gallagher who um, has been uh, involved in finance uh, and technology companies as well. So we've we've got a, a, a the diversity is there in the experience of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly where we look. You know, we 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 were going to. 
looked to recruit another non-executive director just prior to the we were starting the process just prior to the current acquisition and uh, then we put that on hold and so we'd be likely to start looking at that later in later in this uh, calendar or financial year and have you utilized um I guess the benefits of a board skills matrix in that regard to sort of make an assessment of the current strategic direction of the business, um, the current acquisition and the current skill set of the existing board to work out if there's any gaps there of what you'd like to attract on the board in terms of a specific skill set, specific industry, um, other sorts of diversity, age, gender, culture, etc. Yeah, we haven't you we, we, we haven't yet started that process mm. um, with just betting down the acquisition. Yeah. Uh, coming out of COVID-19, there's been a focus on that rather than, than uh, building out our board. But we, we're very conscious of the fact that we, we should be using some sort, sort of um, skills matrix to uh, build out a uh, strong board. Mm. And how do you find the um, interaction of the board? Have you ever sort of been in a part of a board that's kind of had a uh, challenging interaction? Absolutely. <laughs> Many times. Uh, but the, you know, the board's there to, uh, the board members are there to uh, question um, and, and, and provide guidance. And we all don't agree. Uh, you know, we have different perspectives. And, uh, you know, you generally come to a consensus, though, so uh, on, 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 um, decisions so i i think it's i i think it's a board's duty to make sure that they that each board member is heard and that's the chairman's job to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to be heard and as as much as you can equal time um to to be heard and to draw and the chair's there to draw out uh, from people what they're really thinking and, 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 and why they're thinking that mm. um, that way and then, you know, come to a consensus and, and make a decision on, on which way you're going to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And really sort of challenge and strengthen the proposals coming forth from management. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we have some great robust discussions with, our, with, with all the boards I'm on with the management and mm. I, I think that's... Uh, uh, that that's that's good for them. They they want to be challenged. Actually, mm. they just don't want to be seen because they you know can't see the wood for the trees because they're in there operationally. They a good management team and a good CEO wants to be challenged on on th- on certain areas of the business that they're uh, or the business plan that they're presenting. So you've had quite a bit of experience sitting on boards in terms of board papers we know they can be overwhelming they can be hundreds and hundreds of pages what what do you think's a happy medium in terms of volume well i it depending on the circumstances obviously not not when you're doing an acquisition but just generally yeah yeah, generally uh what i've tried to do over the years is uh set up board meetings effectively on a monthly basis but look at them quarterly and so you would look at um, the obviously the, the the first quarter after the end of a financial year is more focused around the financials of the business and getting your reporting right and your auditing right to get those out. So we would focus more around those, those that, that area. Um, the 
generally the January, February, March quarter, we'd be focused more on strategy. And so therefore the papers would be a lot less smaller. You know, still you're getting your financial reporting, but you'd be working on strategy together and working out the strategy. Then the, 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 the last quarter or the March to June quarter um, is, is really on the budgeting and the planning for the business for the next year. So, if, if, if and then the, and then the next quarter being the July to September quarter, the focus um, is more on business as business as usual. How are we going to the budgets that were set? You know, the business plan. Are we on track? Now you're doing that all the time, but there's more focus in those in those quarters. So, I don't think that answers your question about size, but it it, it does matter. It, it it does change dramatically. Um, I think you've just got to be very careful that you just don't get too much detail. And that's a job between the chair and the CEO to sit down and talk through that. And then it's a job for the chair to speak to the other director saying, okay, well, we had 150 pages here. Now, realistically, you know, there was, in your opinion, how many pages did you really think we needed to, and how much detail did we need about that proposition or that that um, that that request for um, for approval? Uh, so yeah, look, if you can, I, I think it, it's really about the size of the business as well. You know, the bigger the business, I think the bigger the board pack, unfortunately. So one last question from me. Um, with EVS and EMS coming together, how did that work culturally? Yeah, um, well, we're, you know, we've set a new vision, we've set a new mission, we've rebranded um, uh, slightly, um, incorporating the EMS uh, logo into the EnviroSuite logo. Um, so that's been presented to the whole company and it's now out there in, in the market. Um, so now really it's the next the next six months is, is the time will tell whether culturally um, we've got that right. It's been quite difficult with them not being together and not even being able to get the management teams together to, to build out that, that strategy that's been hard. But I, 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 I really, truly believe that you've got to build a resilient culture these days you know um it, it, it it's it's got to be truly re- resilient who, who who could have seen a, a pandemic coming right so so when it when it's when it's resilient you know you, you need a risk-based approach to that you need detailed business plans you need strong robust and a strong robust strategy um to do that and i think out of that you'll build a resilient uh, culture and you know, culture's from, they say, from top down, but I think it comes from bottom up as well. It comes from your staff loving and be passionate about what you do, or what they do, uh, and what we do for communities and what we do globally for, uh, for the environment. Yeah, it's really getting that buy-in to the ultimate purpose and vision of the business, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. The alignment between all stakeholders... All right, I think we've um, come to the end of what we've got time for today. So thank you so much, David, for joining us on Wise Up. Um, It's been really great to hear about the journey that you've had so far and um, really excited to follow the journey going forward for EMS and EVS. Thanks, Ainsley, and thanks, Deb. Thanks, David. That's all for today. 
Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.threewiseowls.com.au.